Welcome to another episode of the Feminist Survival Project 2020. I am Emily Nagoski, and this week we are going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, the trans theoretical model or stages of change theory. And uh, so this is something that you would learn in your first semester as a master's of public health student. And it's something you can learn about simply by, uh, you know, you can Google it real easy. But we are going to learn about the concepts by applying it to Amelia. Who is, uh, how are you, Amelia? Broken. <laughs> I feel like shit. <clears throat> yeah. I have post-COVID fatigue. Post-viral fatigue syndrome is the situation. Which is a thing. Which is a thing that I did not know. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. And yesterday turned into too many things. I planned a limited number of things listening to my body. And then... And then I had to do other things because other things showed up and said, hey, Amelia, you have to do us. And I, I really didn't have a choice. So ugh, like, okay, so teach me a thing that might be helpful. Okay, I will. So it's partly teaching you a thing that might be helpful and partly teaching everybody how to have a motivating conversation around behavior change. So the stages of change theory sort of does what it says on the packet. It talks about the fact that people are in different stages in relationship to behavior change around their health. So I'll just go real quick through what the stages are. Stage number one, pre-contemplation. You are not even thinking about change. That's where most of us are most of the time around almost all of our health behaviors, not even thinking about change. Stage two, the second stage, contemplation. <laughs> You are now thinking about change. Something has happened that has activated you considering the possibility that maybe change is a thing that you might want to happen. Stage three, preparation for action. So you haven't actually engaged in the behavior change, but you've started to sort of like create some changes necessary to pave the way for change. So if you're quitting smoking, this would be starting to get rid of all the paraphernalia you've got, all your lighters and your ashtrays and stuff like that. So that's preparation. And then we finally get to action where you engage in the behavior change, followed by the last stage, which is maintenance, which is where you maintain the change. In some models, they include relapse, which is the part where you go back to not engaging in the changed behavior, but revert to the previous behavior. And you generally have to go through the process again. No stages theory is actually as simple and straightforward. These are just categories for thinking about how a person is in relationship to their own behavior change so that you can talk to them about it in a way that's more likely to be effective. The most important rule for me that I learned by using the trans theoretical model is you can get a person to move forward one stage. So if a person is not even in contemplation, they're in pre-contemplation, they haven't even thought about change, don't think that you can get them to action. <laughs> you can't. You can get them to contemplation, probably, if you intervene in an appropriate way that matches where they are relative to their own thinking about behavior change. Does that make sense so far, Amelia? Uh-huh. Where would you say you are in relation to behavior change around your fatigue? Where am I... It's very hard to put thoughts together because I think the brain fog is also a part of this. I am 
looking for things that I can change and trying to change them. Okay, so you're in a in a in a preparation moving into action area. Preparation is sometimes called determination, like you have decided to change. Yes, and I've tried some things and yesterday was a like, big old failed. flop. Yesterday I think was a yeah, was yesterday was a flop. So I'm looking for like how to do it better. Yeah. So for a person in your level of change, there are two processes of change that we are encouraged to promote for you. And they are kind of the most reflective. So you got to like sit and think about them. They are self-reevaluation and self-liberation. If so, uh, for listeners, if you're talking to someone who's in pre-contemplation, they're not even thinking about it. Basically, what you want to do is provide them with some sort of education or emotional catharsis. This is why you see like stories being written. I once was lost, but now I'm found is the ultimate pre-contemplation intervention. Because I once was lost. Everybody can sort of relate to the I was lost and now I'm found. And don't you kind of want to know what the thing was? Because like I when I felt lost, I wanted to be found. How did you? What was it that did it? Oh, it was amazing grace. I have now learned something and now I might be ready to shift into contemplation of whether or not Amazing Grace is an intervention that I'm interested in integrating into my life. Does that analogy make sense? I once was lost, but now I'm found. Yeah. That's dramatic yeah. relief. And then there's environmental reevaluation where you ask the person to consider the consequences of their behavior on the people around them. So if Amelia were in pre-contemplation, if she were just like pushing the fuck through her fatigue and wearing herself out... As an environmental reevaluation, I would talk to her about the impact of her forcing herself to work through fatigue on me and on her relationship and on her dogs and on her job and all the other things that are consequences of her choices that are not concordant with her values for herself as a person, right? That's easy in this case. You're so, yeah, because you, like, you literally physically can't force yourself yeah yeah but and also there is no real reward to pushing too hard like i can imagine other things that are doing things that are not you know fantastic health choices that feel very rewarding even if they you know like eating ice cream all day every day that would feel really rewarding but long term not a good plan right, right? so i can imagine where that would be like okay you have to think about the consequences longer term you have to think about the impact you have on other people right if you you know continue i can i get it like in this case it's not right like this is a self-reinforcing situation exactly. so given that you are already in contemplation you're past contemplation you're in determination or preparation and action you've gone through this process of self-reevaluation which is the process of change that we promote when a person is already contemplating change or preparing for change. Uh, it's a self-appraisal to realize that the healthy behavior is part of who they want to be. So this is bringing your health behavior choices in alignment with your other values as a person, what's important to you. And you're doing that already. I'm not 100% sure that that lines up exactly with the situation because my values of who I want to be is somebody who works really hard and gets a lot done. That's how I've always oh. felt about me and my world so now i have to do the opposite of the thing of what i really identify yeah. with which is i have to i have to be a person who listens to her body and paces herself and doesn't do too much which is not me at all 
but like I get that it will be good for yeah. me. And hopefully in the long term, it means I can go back to being the person who gets shit done. I would suggest that your self-reevaluation actively integrate the idea of listening to your body and pacing yourself and doing just a little bit more than feels comfortable as being you getting a fuck ton done. That is you working really hard. Yeah. And also, if I'm your like health coach, I ask, so tell me what it is about working really hard that is right for you like what does it represent in terms of your values <laughs> uh i don't know like because we were poor so work ethic you know persistence that fucking calvin coolidge quote that was on the wall in the study like nothing takes the place of persistence yeah it was hanging on the wall next to the computer where we did our homework nothing in this world can take the place of persistence talent will not nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. <laughs> yeah, that was hanging on the wall in our study. Yeah, uh, and it like it's I not it every like, day. There's a lot good about that. We're gonna set aside Calvin Coolidge as the source because whoa, right, right, yikes. Sure, yeah. <laughs> And, you know, like, the whole, like, bitches get shit done, and I identify as, like, somebody who gets shit done. That feels, I feel like I've accomplished things, and that's, uh, I don't know, it just seems, of course, wouldn't everybody want to be the person who gets shit done? No, I guess somebody would want to be the people who listen to their body. And <laughs> Well, how is it, so they, they aren't opposites for me. Like, I grew up with the same <laughs> quote on the same wall next to the same computer. If anything, I am more twisted in my persistence than you are and i also listen to my body like they are not discordant for me they're not opposites in any way they're not opposites but it this fatigue stands in my way of doing it getting shit yeah done. so in, i want to like because you've said this twice now i want to sort of like recognize and let's just go with the script that the fatigue is an enemy that lives inside you that you are trying to defeat. Does that sound right? Yeah. And the problem is the fatigue's weapon is it makes you too tired to fight. Yeah. And you know the advice you always give me, which is that you become a cloud? I've never told you to become yes, a cloud. You know, the time when I like shoveled the snow for you and you said, that's an example of instrumental support. And I had totally forgotten that I had done that. Yeah. You told me to be a cloud in my resistance and you have totally forgotten that you have done that because when people do things that are helpful, but just feel natural and part of who they are, it doesn't stick. It doesn't remain as like an important moment in their lives. But when people receive that kind of support, it lasts, it sustains, it makes a mark. And this is me reminding you of that time that you told me to be a cloud. Yeah, I really don't think I did that. <laughs> okay. Does not sound like something that I would say. You literally wrote it in the book. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> you really... <laughs> also, brain fog is part of the post-viral fatigue. Yeah, yeah. Part of the, yeah. So, like, you're... In a place, so it's actually my memory's bad, my cognition is yeah. Slow. Part of me wants to like my attention is short, 
be like, we shouldn't do this at a time when you feel so terrible. But this is the kind of conversation that health educators have with patients in the hospital who are recovering from surgery to motivate them to engage in behavior change that will prevent them from having to come back to the hospital. So it's okay that you feel terrible. And we'll, we'll only do yeah. a little bit. But, but we already, we have a framework where we have identified who the enemy is. We've identified the weapon they use. Does, does the fatigue like have a gender or an appearance? No. It's just the fatigue. It. Yeah. Okay. It uses some weapons against you and tries to prevent you from being the person that you are. And you are so far trying to use the strategy of going ahead and doing what you want to do while carrying the fatigue with you everywhere. And it's pretty good at like grabbing you by the ankle and you have to drag it around with you like a toddler. Well, I did that for like two days and then it like, you know, beat the shit out of me. So I was like, all right, I guess I have to listen to my body. Okay. So that's your motivation for trying a different strategy. Yes. Because when I tried to do the thing I wanted to do, it made it completely impossible to do the thing. Yeah. So you need a different approach. Right. So the new approach is pace myself and plan and prioritize. I'm afraid it is worse than that. You're going to groan. You're going to hate it. This monster, the fatigue, what are you going to do? Well, that's very smart of its kindness and compassion. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> I know. It's always the answer, and it's always bullshit. Fuck. Fuck. I mean, like, I know. I know. I know you know. But, oh. <laughs> What's ew about it? Talk about the ew. Because if you can figure out I don't want to the... be nice to a thing that's hurting me. Yes! Oh, fuck. So if we can figure that out, we can figure out what structure we can build around you to make it easier. And because we're still in education mode, people, we're still talking about the stages of change theory and the processes of change that are appropriate for different stages. Since Amelia is in the action process, we're going to talk about the action processes of change. Number one in there. Take one guess what, like, number one process of change is for people who are in action. I lost track of that sentence. What? Okay, so here you are in the action stage. <laughs> there are certain processes of change that are most likely to be helpful for you given that you're already in that stage. Given everything you know about the book we wrote, what do you suppose <laughs> number one is? The process of change. What process do you call upon? What resource could be available to you? Now that you're in action, that could be really important to sustaining change. Um, compassion? Other people. No? Other people. Oh! No. No. That can't be right. <laughs> Supportive relationships that encourage the desired change. So if your action is... No, I don't think that could be right. <laughs> <laughs> so we have already figured, like, we know that what made you vulnerable to COVID was the love part. And it all, it just proves how much yeah. love is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
exactly. How could it possibly be like the thing that will help most in healing uh, the COVID and its sequelae? I got yeah. to use the sequelae, word sequelae in a word sentence. I did I yesterday. use it correctly? Yeah. Is, is that actually? You did. That yeah. Doesn't happen often. I watched a whole webinar on the sequelae of COVID and how it impacts singers. And that was when I learned the word sequelae. Well, it is very fun to say. It's one of those words. Zav, speckle, ointment, sequelae. Sequelae. For those who don't know, Amelia goes through relationships with words. And one night when we were about nine years old, we were sitting at the dinner table. And Amelia just starts going, Zav. Zav. That's a fun word to say. Zav. Ointment. Speckle. Zav. Ointment. Speckle. My fascination with diction is not new. It is. It is deep. Just like words and how they sound. (laughs) Words are fun. Phonemes, man. Can't get enough of them. Okay. Helping relationships is your process of change that is effective now that you're in the action stage. Okay. Your action is the process of turning towards your motherfucking fatigue with motherfucking kindness and motherfucking compassion. Oh. Which, because it's terrible... You can only do with other people at your back. You're like, because it's Moana, how do I turn towards something that's throwing fireballs at me? Remember, you hold its heart in your hand. No, right. Fuck. Oh, right. Yes. What does Moana do? She sees the swirl in the chest of the monster. She realizes she holds its heart, which was stolen from it. And she says to the ocean, let her come to me. So you say to the ocean... What's the ocean for you? Uh, I think the ocean represents Moana's self, so I kind of think she's it's not really. It's you and your own anything. resistance. Just, it's your yuck. Yeah. It's your ew. I don't want to do this. Oh yeah. Yeah. So you say, "Let her come to me," and you hold her heart in your hand. You sing the song, which and remember, what did you say about the music in that song and the monster and where she shows up in the music? Yeah, she's in another key. She's in another key. And you're going to try... She's not really another key. She's in another mode. She's in another mode. But whatever. Remind the people, and by the people I mean me, what it means to be in a different mode. (laughs) It means that all the notes are the same. You just have a different organization of, like, pitch hierarchy. There's a different pitch that's the home pitch. Oh, right. So all the notes in the scale are the same. You just, instead of do being the center, la is the center. So la is the center of the fatigue. Let's say, metaphorically. For sure. For sure. That that literally feels like right for you? Like when I say that? You're like, oh yeah. <laughs> really? Oh yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, it's good. Because <laughs> it totally would mean nothing to me if you said it to me. If you're like, your monster <laughs> law is the hometown. <laughs> okay. You don't know what you mean. Cool. So now that you turn It's like toward... when, you, when you make Russian sounds that sound like Russian and people who are Russian are like, that sounds like Russian, but you're not There's actually saying anything. Issue. And you're like, yeah. You're like, I'm making Russian sounds, and they're like, uh, that might be words. Anyway. That was me trying to say, Square. where is Red Square? You successfully said, where is Red Square? Oh, well, anyway. Uh, so, the. <laughs> See, it's the same thing. Yeah. You turn toward it with kindness and compassion. Uh-huh. Remember that Moana has Maui and the whole ocean at her back. Right? And it's not just her. Guess what? Who's who's the ocean for you right now? Who is opening up to let the monster come to you? Who else is in the song? 
Is it you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm the little descant. Uh-huh. Right? Right? Yeah, yeah, I got so you. I'm, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. me doing the thing. That's why helping relationships are a necessary process of change when people are ready for change. We have three other processes of change, which I think for you, helping relationships is a start. Like it's going to be me and Malin and like a handful of other people offering the four kinds of social support. Insert our social support episode here with four kinds of social support, instrumental support, informational support, emotional support, and appraisal support. This is kind of appraisal support right here, I guess. Let me point out to you the barriers in your own personality that are preventing you from being well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like almost no one can do this with someone in their life. Like this is is not usually what a helping relationship looks like. But I am the ocean, goddammit. Okay. So let's let's see if there is something that feels helpful in the other three processes of change that are relevant to people who are in the action stage of change. Counter conditioning. You substitute healthy behaviors and thoughts for the unhealthy behaviors and thoughts. So this is the process of noticing okay. when your old habit is kicking in and stopping yourself and replacing it with a new uh-huh. one. Uh-huh. This is one you're good at. Yeah. When you can when you can notice it. And so the, what, is, what yeah. is the old, what is the former behaviors and thoughts? Doing what's on the to-do list. No, because remember, this is about or changing your relationship with your fatigue. Right. So when oh, my, you do... My, the old behaviors, is, this is a bad, evil thing that doesn't deserve my... This is my enemy that I'm fighting. It's trying to hurt me. Yeah. And so I'm just going to go ahead and do what yeah. I want to do. And the replacement is... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, this is a learning opportunity. Yes. So much growth. So much growth can happen. Yeah. Aren't you glad you got COVID because learning. it provided you it's a- with this opportunity to really grow? You're going to learn so much. <laughs> so at the least complaint from the fatigue, you're not going to be like, nah, bitch, fuck you. At the, at the least little knocking on the door of like, I believe you need to rest, you're going to be like, oh, hello. Hello, fatigue. Thank you so much for being here to help me. <laughs> okay. At the, like, you're going to spend Goldilocks. so much. Come on and eat my porridge. Yeah. And here's the thing. What is the fatigue going to do when you invite it in? Going to eat my porridge. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then what? And then take a nap. And then take a nap, and then, and then what? Yeah. Uh, and then I get to eat it? I think that's how that story ends. You eat the bear? No, it's the Goldilocks. I'm the Goldilocks bear. Goldilocks eats... No, the bear eats Goldilocks. You're the bear. Goldilocks is the enemy who eats the porridge and takes a nap. She knocks at the door, eats the porridge, sleeps in the um, bed, how and the then story gets ends eaten by the, the bear. The bear eats Goldilocks? That is not how I remember that story. Uh, I think there's versions of it, yeah, where the... I'm gonna, uh, how does Goldilocks end? All those stories are much darker than the versions we tell kids now. Yeah, that's sort of what Roald Dahl did. Yeah. I bet you think you know this story. You don't. The real one's much more gory. 
Uh The one they cooked up years and years ago to make it to sound all soft and sappy just to make the children happy. That's real dull. So sometimes, okay, but you're not tied to a script of anything. You're letting the fatigue in because it knocked and it eats your porridge and it sleeps in your bed. How does it feel now? Well, I want to eat it. I feel like I should get to eat it now. You are welcome to eat it. What happens when you do that? Gone. Win. All you had to do was let it in. (laughs) Treat it nice. Yeah. Give it a snack. Let it lie down. And then you consumed it for energy. Yeah. So it doesn't mean you're done. It just means you participated in a process that like helps with the healing. And you just do it again every day. Because it's gonna knock again. That's that's how this works. And uh, so so counter conditioning, so you have helping relationships around you to help make it easier to practice this because it's going to be time consuming and use energy yeah. to engage in this change behavior versus yeah. your usual way of doing things. That's counter conditioning is substituting this new process for the other one that you had before. And do you see the way that this is actually tied to your value of hard work and persistence? Yes, because it's definitely going to be work. Because this... It's going to be so hard. The thing I will have accomplished is dealing with COVID fatigue. Yeah. Being well enough to be able to do all the things you want to do. Like, it's not going to stop you. It's not going to get in your way. You're not going to let it force you to. But in order to accomplish that, I have to let it force me to stop for a while. Yeah. Remember remember in our book, in chapter two, sometimes you have to quit. Yeah. You have to change your goal. Yeah. Or change your approach, change your strategy of intervention. Yeah. Okay, we got we got two more processes of change for people who are in the action phase. Reinforcement management, rewarding positive behavior and reducing the rewards that come from the negative behavior. So when we talked about what are the good things of change, what are the not so good things of change, what are the good things about staying the same, what are the not so good things about staying the same? We want to make sure we're amplifying the good things about change. What are the good things about doing things differently? Hopefully it means that I'll get better and this won't last forever. Yeah, you will gradually, day by day, feel better. And that's sort of all it takes for you. Like, you don't need extrinsic motivators. You don't need to, like, give yourself a treat every time you let the fatigue in and let it eat your porridge. Yeah. There are times when I wonder if anyone listening to this will have any idea what the fuck we're talking about because we very easily <laughs> fall into each other's sort of like imaginative metaphorical world. Yeah, yeah. And my therapist assures me that other people don't do this. <laughs> really? Because sometimes I talk this way to my therapist and she like, it's, it is not a, a mode of operating that is typical for her clients. Really? Shit, because I do this with my choirs all the time. Yeah. I, I actually explicitly teach my choirs to do this. Yeah. I mean, I teach this all the time. I'm teaching it right now. Yeah. Well. So, <laughs> but, so if other people are like, what? what are they talking about? Have a relationship with your fatigue and turn toward it and let it in and eat your porridge and take a nap and then you eat it. What? Yeah. This is a, this is a skill that you two can yeah. uh, develop yeah. by creating a little space between you and the parts of yourself that are frustrating you. Yeah. There's a book called Self Therapy by, I think, Jay Early is his name. It's about internal family systems and how you can use the structural sort of theoretical framework of internal family systems to slay some of the dragons that live in your head 
when I wrote a novel, my the, it's in two parts, right? So the hero in the second novel gets his ass in therapy, which is what a whole lot of intelligent romance readers wish the hero would do. Like if he's broken, he doesn't rely on the heroine to, fix, it, to yeah. like fix his ass, but he gets his ass into therapy and takes responsibility for himself. I have his therapy be very much about like, the metaphorical structure of his mind and his brother and sister are both baby birds with broken wings and his father is this dragon and annie the heroine is the sun right yeah well that my fatigue uh, is personified as an entitled little blonde girl well that's fair Mm -hmm. very whiny and demanding yeah just expecting assuming that everyone will cater to her as soon as she walks in the room yeah nothing nothing about blonde people no no just this particular thing is now because also my hero was blonde yeah um, but but people absolutely did. So back when I read um, reviews, people got very frustrated and bored with, with the metaphor, <laughs> the, the therapy metaphor in my novel. Well, which may be why I'm like pausing to notice that we're using this sort of like metaphorical way of thinking about the parts of ourselves. And uh, not everyone does that. And when it was in my novel, people were bothered by it. Like, what the fuck is this? Basically, if you're feeling that way right now, this is not the episode for you. It seems to me that that's what all novels are. It's like an exploration of an individual. Like all the characters in the book are parts of a, a whole. Like so the novel is a self. Yes. And like when you interpret the actions of all the characters in the story in relationship to the whole, you're seeing the growth and the development of an individual. Like, you know, Moana is not a separate character from the ocean or from Maui or from Taka. Like they are all one person and Moana's the leader, the conscious self. Like, don't people who read books know that so like it's kind of cool that you're not which i haven't read your novel but like you know it's kind of no never 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 read my novels there's a lot of sex I in will, them don't I do will that. definitely never do that but it's kind of like it's sort of neat that there's like an explicit exploration of the parts of self in a book which is itself also a metaphor yeah, for the parts a of Jungian self therapist. Yeah. his therapist is like basically sort of like clarissa pinkola estes mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Reinforcement management. We have one more process of change for people who are in the action stage. It is stimulus control, re-engineering the environment to have reminders and cues that support and encourage the healthy behavior and remove those that encourage the unhealthy behavior. When does your semester start? When you go back to work? August 22nd. Okay. So that's our clock. Yeah. Because in terms of stimulus control, it's going to be really difficult for you not to get just sort of like swept into the rushing river of the semester. Yeah. And I have so much preparation left to do. Yeah. And a big chunk of the preparation you have to do is, you know, turning toward your fatigue with kindness and compassion, which is just like a whole additional project on top of all the other stuff that you already had to do. Yeah. It's a project that determines my capacity to do the other actual projects that will you know matter to other people yes so there is your self-reevaluation there is the way that this behavior is part of who you want to be because if you don't do this one then you can't do all the other ones olive so stimulus control re-engineering your environment for cues and reminders to support the choice to spend a whole lot of time in compassionate relating with your fatigue what's going to help with that I feel like I participated in this because, well, mom and I, we sent you, and it'll be delivered very soon, a whole bunch, a lot of 10 pounds of seafood frozen 
so that Malin can take over some of the cooking and you don't have to worry about it. That's re-engineering the environment to take that off of your Yeah, that'll be good. List. I like seafood. Instrumental like support. Yeah. He and I joke that, too. like, one of the reasons we got married is because we both like seafood so much. It's not a joke, though. So, <laughs> have 10 pounds of it. <laughs> so, uh, that's part of re-engineering the environment. What else? What else is on your to-do list that you could just get off of your to-do list to create just, like compassionate time with fatigue compassionate time with fatigue compassionate time with fatigue just let it fill up I your can list. postpone my class prep okay can wait because it's it gonna wait. make it harder to do later but i don't need three more weeks of prep time i need i can probably do a large chunk of it in a few days if i have enough energy to do it or you can do a lot of it in 10 days yeah. or a week except that's only two weeks from now because then if i <laughs> the clock is ticking this is part of why I can't be compassionate because it's now. Yeah. So, so this is this is it. This is the counter conditioning. You notice yourself feeling impatient and frustrated with the fatigue when you want to just like beat the shit out of it because it is preventing you from doing the things that you want to do, and you're like, ah, but no, the impatience that I feel is the true enemy. Let me practice being patient with it. Acceptance. This is like the vicious irony of acceptance as an intervention. Like, how the hell am I supposed to accept a thing that I hate? And how is accepting the thing I want to change supposed to help me change it? Accepting it means I'm not changing it. No, acceptance is one of the most powerful tools we have for creating change. He's lucky I'm so good at it. I'm so good Instead at acceptance of impatience. and patience. <laughs> Such a great growth <laughs> opportunity. What a learning experience. Another fucking learning opportunity. I don't even know why we call this podcast the Feminist Survival Project. We should call it the Feminist Growth Project. Oh, wait, no. There's a really big difference between survival and growth. In fact, growth comes way after the Yeah, no, part. me getting the semester is not a matter of growth at this point. It's a matter of, like, I'm going to scrape by. It's survival. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and just the fact that the semester is happening in the first place is itself bullshit. So one of the other processes of change is social liberation, which is like the environmental opportunities showing society ways that are supportive of healthy behaviors. That does not exist. The bullshit thing is your yeah, campus really, is opening. They're that, emphasizing that should not the be happening. importance of being in person on the ground of personal responsibility we're gonna we're gonna prevent people from getting sick by individuals taking personal responsibility for their hygienes and behaviors which we already know is not adequate it does not work the and it's like in most places in america the the thing that's hard about my preparation though is that i'm being asked to prepare to teach in in person, on the ground, just as I would ordinarily, and also be prepared to allow any students who get sick or need to quarantine or don't feel comfortable coming to campus, make sure that they can all also participate 100% online. So my course has to be 100% available online, but also offer valuable in-person course, lectures, meetings, in classrooms. I mean, I have some rage about that. Um, If you don't have some rage about that, I'd be shocked. I sort of, I recognize that pandemics are expensive 
they cost money, they cost time. And I have not been asked to give up very much. So I kind of feel like, well, this is something I can do. I mean, you've had to give up months of your own health. This all started before I actually got sick. So, you know, we started doing this in, oh, okay. in May. Okay. And I was like, I'm all, I'm going to take the seminars and I'm going to learn about teaching online and... And I and I I've done a lot of those. I've gotten better at the online, you know, school resources, and uh, and then I got sick. The end. Mm. That's not a good story. <laughs> uh, so we identified the stage of change that you are at. You're between preparation and action. You sort of tried to do a thing and it didn't work, and so you relapsed. But you didn't go back to pre-contemplation you knew that you couldn't keep going but you needed to like find a different way yeah so uh we had a a motivational conversation <laughs> that focused on counter conditioning and helping relationships yeah we don't have to worry too much about reinforcement management because you will feel better when you do these things and that is reward enough we talked a little bit about stimulus control and i think that's going to be like your project is figuring out how to structure your environment in a way that cues a compassionate relationship with your fatigue and makes it more difficult to have an impatient, frustrated, ragey relationship with your fatigue. Yeah. I would like if we could think of one thing that you could potentially shift. Uh, so that I don't feel enraged about my fatigue and instead have a compassionate response. Yeah, because the cues for the ragey relationship with fatigue are when you feel busy and pressured and frustrated because you have other things you need to get done? Ordinarily, I say that, well, I feel better after I take a nap, and I do, but not much better. So, like, if I could claim accurately that, well, when I rest, I feel better. I can claim that. When I rest, I feel better. So, the cue, hey, you need to lay down for a minute, is true and helpful. So thanks, Goldilocks, for knocking on the door. Tied a little brat. Three hours next of rest time. means I have 20 minutes of energy. Yeah. And a reinforcement management strategy is noticing that it used to be that that length of a nap would only give you 15 minutes of energy. And next week, that nap will give you half an hour of energy. Really? Noticing the progress. I don't, I don't know if that's true. I, I expect it will be true. And I expect that the more compassionate you can be with it, because, you know, Goldilocks is trying to, she's doing her best. Yeah. She's trying to help. Yeah. But she is also like a tweeny type adolescent snot who doesn't necessarily know best. Yeah. But she doesn't know nothing. Yeah. She doesn't know nothing. That is true. Okay. To sum up, this was a podcast about the stages of change theory in public health and identifying where a person is in their relationship to behavior change so that you can intervene most effectively. The stages are pre-contemplation, not even thinking about change, contemplation, considering the possibility of change, preparation or determination when you've decided and you're kind of getting ready. Then there's action, which is actually engaging in the behavior change. Then there's uh, maintenance and or relapse. We identified Amelia as being in the sort of preparation, determination, action-y type stage. And there are specific change processes that are most likely to be relevant to people 
in different stages. So if you're talking to somebody who you would like to change their behavior, but they're in pre-contemplation, your best bet is to do consciousness raising, environmental reevaluation. So pointing out the ways that their choices impact not just themselves, but people around them in ways that are discordant with this person's values and dramatic relief, uh, which is telling a story that gives people a sense of like, wow, if it works for them, it could work for me too to get them thinking about stuff. When a person is in contemplation, that's when you wanna like dig into the self-evaluation. The self-evaluation is thinking about the ways that the existing behaviors are discordant with who you wanna be and how a behavior change would be more concordant with the person you want to be. When a person is ready for preparation and action, that's when we engage in all these other things. Helping relationships are number one. So you find a way to be supportive. You listen to the social support episode to learn about the four types of social support. You can build in counter conditioning, which is substituting healthy behaviors for the old patterns, which like Basically, all structures of therapy use this. It's in cognitive behavioral therapy. It's in acceptance and commitment therapy. Noticing that your old pattern is kicked in and replacing it with the new one. Reinforcement management, which is uh, rewarding the positive behavior and uh, reducing the rewards that come from the negative behavior. And stimulus control, which is about structuring the environment to make it easy to make choices. So if you know for sure that gluten makes you feel like shit, but also gluten is delicious... Re-engineering your environment would be making sure you don't bring gluten into the house. It makes it much easier not to eat a thing that you know makes you feel like shit, right? That's stimulus control, re-engineering the environment to make it easy to engage in the behavior that's good for you and make it more difficult to engage in the one that uh, results in unwanted outcomes. And that, my friends, is the trans-theoretical model with the stages of change and the processes of change that people engage in at each of those stages. And that's Amelia being in the preparation action phase and having to figure out helping relationships, counter conditioning, reinforcement management, and stimulus control. Yeah, it's mostly watching YouTube videos about people who are like, yeah, post-COVID fatigue is a thing. Here's how some people are dealing with it. Yeah. And it seems like you need to spend some of the time not just learning about post-COVID fatigue, but learning about your fatigue, which... How do you learn about your fatigue? Learn to word it with kindness and compassion. <laughs> that is correct. Ding! You win the prize. What does she win? George, six more naps today. <laughs> Thanks for playing. Yeah. It'll be so much more satisfying if the naps were actually sleep, but all I have to do is just lay in bed for three hours. I don't actually sleep. If I could sleep and the time would pass and I wouldn't be noticing that I've been in bed for three hours, that'd be easier. Oh. But I lay in bed yeah. for three hours and I don't sleep. But then I, after three hours, I have the energy to get up and cook a meal. And then I have to go lay down again. Yeah. And the thing we have changed is not the fatigue, but your relationship with the fatigue. Right. Because the fatigue will change when you change your relationship with the fatigue. Yeah. It's not helpful to be like, I wish my fatigue were different. Because of course I wish my fatigue were different. In fact, it's probably actively not good. Yeah. So... Except that it's normal and totally reasonable to wish your fatigue were different. Of course you wish your fatigue were different. And what's going to change your fatigue is being patient with it. Yeah. And that's going to be hard, and that's why you need all of these change processes in place. Yeah. Was this helpful at all? Yeah. If it wasn't helpful for you, I can't imagine it would be helpful for anybody else. No, it's helpful. 
<laughs> it still sounds so terrible. It feels terrible. Yeah, that's fine. Yesterday was a particularly hard day, so my sleep was bad. Yeah, so you feel extra terrible. But that's this is a dramatic relief moment. I am like grasping the opportunity to intervene at a vulnerable moment. <laughs> yes, intervention strategy. Kick them while they're down. <laughs> no. working you need relief if it were like if you were just like Look, yesterday wasn't my fault you know yesterday took over itself. no yesterday wasn't your fault that's the whole point and yet is that you can't be in control of all the stimuli it's really difficult to structure the environment to make it easy to have a compassionate relationship with your fatigue it's very difficult requires deliberate intention yeah that's the part that sucks yeah you're gonna have to like notice when something's getting in the way of you doing a thing you don't actually want to do that much. Yeah. Here is this barrier to me doing this thing I don't want to do. What should I do? Should I ask for help getting rid of this barrier? Or should I just not do the thing I don't want to do anyway? I mean, <laughs> I guess I'll ask for help removing the barrier because I know that doing the thing I don't want to do actually will result in me feeling better sooner. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. And it's pretty clear so that if I don't, I wake up at 4 a.m. with, like, joint pain so bad that it pulls me out of sleep. So, I mean, it's a pretty clear communication. Yeah, that's the trigger for me is that it's not just fatigue, now it's pain. Yeah. That's escalation. I mean, it it was pain. And then I started paying attention to my body and, like, doing what my body wanted me to do. Until yesterday, when I couldn't anymore, and it turned into mm -hmm. pain again. Yesterday was a regression. Yeah. Let us return to the lesson of the Tuesday uh -huh. in the future uh -huh. when the semester starts. So uh, when you're having a change conversation, I'm going to ask this in a formal structured way, but obviously people don't have like this kind of conversation. On a scale of zero to 10, how confident do you feel that if you decided to create this change in your relationship, you can, or uh, does, does change in your relationship with your fatigue, how confident do you feel that you could? If you decided to. 10. Because I've done this 10 kind of out thing of 10 before. confidence. Yeah. What makes you feel 10 out of 10 confidence? I've done it before. Because you've done it before. Yeah. You know that you know how to do this. You know that you can do it. Yeah. That's fantastic. And you feel so confident that there isn't even anything else that has to happen to make you feel more confident. No. Okay. So then on a scale of 0 to 10, 0 being not at all, 10 being 100%, how motivated do you feel to create this change that you feel so confident about? Your capability of creating. Well, at 4 a.m. when I woke up with joint pain, I was like, hella motivated. 10. Right now, I'm too tired to be super mm -hmm. motivated. So, like, 8? Yeah. But definitely So, hang on a motivated. second. So, so separate yourself a little bit from the fatigue. Let's get a motivation score from the fatigue. How motivated Goldilocks is. And then let's get a, a motivation score from you. Goldilocks is not motivated she wants me to stay she wants status quo all day she's happy for you to keep the door shut and uh tell her to shut the fuck up she wants to like grab onto your ankle and be dragged around behind you all day she's cool with that yeah i think that probably means she's gonna live longer oh i see we're plotting her destruction yeah 
Yeah, she lives longer if I if I drag her around on my ankle. I keep because when I let her in, she gets to have porridge and a nap, but then she gets eaten. Yeah, so as she's not even zero motivated. She's like negative, actively doesn't want you to do this. Yeah. Okay. And how do you feel? I want to eat Goldilocks between two pieces of rye bread with sauerkraut. I'm super motivated. So Goldilocks takes like corned beef? Yes. Or pastrami? Yes. yes. Goldilocks is brisket is what you're saying. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> brisket locks. <laughs> Maybe that is your, like, imagination. Like, when you hear that knock on the door, it's not this bratty little tween. It's a brisket. Yeah, she's my she's my Reuben sandwich. Come on in. Ooh, lunch is here. <laughs> so you're motivated. Yeah. And you're confident. Yeah. Unfortunately, you also have, you have, you have a formidable foe. Yeah. Let us not, just because she's a tween, snotty little kid and a brisket doesn't mean she's not real good at what she does yeah and also when she comes in she eats my porridge and just sits in my bed and that's very unpleasant yes all the more reason to get rid of her though right but you know i have to make a sacrifice in the meantime before i get to eat her yeah you have to keep making more goddamn porridge yeah letting her fucking eat it doing the laundry which we know is a project yeah so I asked about your confidence level. I asked about your motivation. You are confident. You are motivated. You also recognize that it won't be easy. Just because you're confident and motivated doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Sounds like to me. Yeah. And do you feel like you have something like a plan? Yeah. And these are questions I only ask because you are at that preparation action stage of change. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so tired. Yeah. And let it be noted that Amelia woke up like an hour and a half ago. And it's now noon, if you can hear the church bells ringing next door. Because again, I was awake so at 4 a.m. with is, joint pain. It is not that I, like, forced Amelia to stay out of bed in order to record this podcast. No, I was out, and there, like, I could not have taken a nap. A nap would not have helped me. It's not like I was going to have more energy than this today. Today, this is what today is. This is what you have today. This is what I have today. And let me turn toward it with kindness and, you- and compassion. Instead of resenting it, because now I'm not going to get any fucking thing done. You're going to get so much, you're going to eat so much Goldilocks brisket. That'll be good. Do you feel down? Yeah, I need to go lay down there. Do you feel like it was worth it? Yeah. Do you agree that it'll help other people? I hope so, because, I mean, for real, recognizing that the thing that's hurting you is a thing that's also going to be an opportunity for growth. That's real. Yeah. I know that's real. There's a reason we talk about Moana all the time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was this week's episode of the Feminist Survival Project 2020. We are on the Instagrams and Twitters at FSP2020. You can email us Feminist Survival Project 2020 at gmail.com. Um, if you have words of encouragement or a recipe for sauce to go on Amelia's corned beef sandwich. Thanks for listening. This monster, the fatigue, what are you going to do? Well, that's very smart of a kindness <laughs> and compassion. Nailed it. 
The Feminist Survival Project 2020 is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.